0: Welcome to The Breaking Point. I'm your host, Nalme Nachia. So we often hear that cooking is an art and truly it is one of the most creative and versatile art forms. Uh, Some consider it a spiritual act, others a philosophical pursuit. In fact, one of our previous guests actually said that. But cooking is as much a science as it is art. And today we hope to look at the science of cooking or at least a scientist's view of cooking. On this episode, we have someone who loves to cook, bake, and also know where his ingredients come from. In a tryst spanning 20 years across cultures and countries, his experiments with cooking, its techniques and flavors have resulted in a blog, a delectable looking Instagram page, and a podcast called Nerd Kitchen. Please welcome the research scientist for whom his kitchen is his second lab, Ajit Bhaskar. Hi, Ajit. Good to have you here. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Nalne. Thank you so much for that intro. It's great to be on the show,
0: and it's it's nice to have you here as well because uh, sort of like two podcasters coming together and also having a conversation about (laughs) the same thing that their podcast is about—food. So you know, I generally ask people when you know when I bring guests on my show, I ask what their approach to food is, Um, and like I mentioned earlier, people are you know uh, I've had teachers, journalists, actors come on the show, so they have a, like a very personal experience or narrative with food. Um, but your relationship is pretty much public uh, on Instagram yeah. or through your blog. So with you, yeah. let me go to the beginning and ask you this journey with food. How did it all begin?
1: So honestly, uh, I, I think my um, grandpa still owns a I I mean, grandpa is no more, but uh, his yeah. children have taken over Uh, So, there is a sweet shop called Sri Ravi Sweet in Tiruvallur, TN, near Chennai. Uh, So, since I was a kid, every summer holiday, we used to spend at least like a month to month and a half there. Uh, It was a joint family, of course. And, uh, you know, those are my first memories of food. So, I used to be a terror because, you know, I used to raid the shop and just wipe out all the potato chips and the other laddus and whatnot. Uh, there is a particular dish called siralam, which is made with idli, so on and so forth. So, my tryst uh, with food actually goes way uh, back when I was like a little kid, maybe I don't know, three, four years old or so. Mm-hmm. But that is as far as eating is concerned. And you know, uh, looking at those big vats and people using uh, uh, these uh, peanut shells as fuel and so on. So, my intro to Food and you know, cooking on a large scale and all that began when I was a kid. Now, uh, my experience with cooking started, however, when uh, I had to go to the US okay. uh, for pursuing graduate studies. Right. So I remember mm-hmm. I asked my mom to teach me how to make aloo gobi because that's one of my favorite sabdi's
0: okay. and how
1: to make some kind of upma. And I think she taught me how to make semia upma. So she wrote down the recipe, mm-hmm. add this much of this, etc. etc. And uh, she was a teacher. She's retired now. And every day she came back from school, I had piping hot siphon ready for her. She she was really happy that her son was cooking. uh, Because at at our house, at least my dad doesn't contribute anything in the kitchen. So cooking is all mom's department. So she was very happy to see me cook. Uh, But it became a bit tiresome when I started tweaking the recipe. Amma, today I added two teaspoons of salt and a teaspoon of something else. The other day, it's like I added coriander leaves instead of curry. And she quite frankly told me one day, okay, I'm sika this crab. You know how to make upma. Get lost. Go to US. You're on your own. And, uh, and, and it came on. And it really came in handy that still because uh, in US, uh, so at least this was early 2000. Okay. And uh, the junk food was really, really cheap. So, I remember, uh, you know, uh, there is something I never thought, knew that there is a concept called pizza buffet. So, you can actually tell the person that, hey, I want a pizza with this particular topping and uh, the person would make that pizza for you, bring it to your table and you can repeat this and ad infinitum for only $3 and, and you can imagine how ridiculously cheap that is. Yeah. So, I mean, I put on like insane amounts of weight yeah. and then I realized you know what it's better to kind of watch what's going inside my body and that's when I really started taking interest in uh, cooking across various cuisines and uh, I guess U.S. has the advantage of uh, uh, having ingredients from all over the world available pretty easily hmm. so hmm. that's where I started experimenting you know I started stepping beyond the upma and the aloo gobhi, uh, you know, Thai, you have mech kinds of cuisines you have italian of course and that is when i started experimenting with different kinds of uh, cuisines across the world
0: eating or cooking as well like both or just eating
1: i mean actually both Hon- honestly honestly both, so both. okay yeah. every time i went to a place and uh, saw that a dish was really really well made i used to come back and see if i could recreate that to some extent mm-hmm.
0: so and
1: especially after coming back to india Uh, that passion has, uh, you know, actually increased because there are certain things food-wise that I miss about the U.S. And Mm -hmm. now that's when I really started looking into, okay, where can I find this particular ingredient? uh, Or how can I substitute uh, a certain ingredient with something else? And that's where the the whole creative element uh, started manifesting itself even more prominently. So Mm -hmm. after moving back to India in 2010, Uh, Mm -hmm. I really started to you know uh, check out all kinds of stores for all kinds of ingredients and uh, after a point it's I started to realize the importance of local food because uh, a simple example is uh, I wanted so earlier I used to be a stickler for you know the quote-unquote authenticity of foods okay Italian means it has to have good olive oil it has Mm -hmm. to have the good and all that stuff. Mm. Then it started to burn a hole in the pocket because you want good parmigiano Reggiano, it costs like I don't know four hundred bucks for 200 grams of cheese or oh, yeah. sorry hundred grams of cheese. And that is ridiculously expensive, right? So mm. that's when I started to realize, okay, I kind of need to embrace the importance of local food. and you know uh, this led me to checking out uh, local cheese makers and you know supporting their produce. Uh, Similarly, uh, checking out local vegetables, how to strike a balance between what is authentic and how it makes sense to adapt things locally. So that kind of became the focus of my cooking. But I still continue to explore food all across the world. Uh, Thankfully, my job lets me travel uh, to several countries. And as I've traveled more, I've learned a lot more about food. So, every time I go to a certain country, I make sure I, you know, get ingredients that are local to that place, bring them back uh, mm-hmm. in terms of spices and whatnot and try to use that into, uh, you know, our day-to-day cooking.
0: Okay, okay. Uh, uh, when did science enter the kitchen then? Like, you know, sort of looking <laughs> yeah. at what you're doing, what you're putting in and how, you know, they sort of react combine
1: so that's a, that's an excellent question, honestly, so while I'm a research scientist and science being that requires you to be precise and you know well measured and all that, I never measure when I'm cooking. but <laughs> having said that, I keep certain things in mind, like one simple concept is uh, let us say I want to caramelize onions, yeah uh, usually, when you see recipes, they heat the oil and then add the onion. Uh to the sizzling hot oil. If you and then they start adding salt and whatnot. So the first rule of caramelization is you never do that. You mm. take the oil, it's barely warm, you add your onion, you never ever add salt, and you slow cook it for a long time to actually get the even caramelization. Otherwise, what happens is the the, the surface that comes in touch with onion cooks way faster and it gets brown and caramelly, but the mm. insides are not done. But as you keep waiting, that outer surface starts to char. So there's a loss of that good caramelly flavor. So it's these kind of simple fundamentals that I keep in mind uh, Mm. while cooking to, you know, maximize the flavor or whatever I'm uh, trying to do in terms of cooking. So let us say, uh, you know, uh, I run out of an egg. So okay, what do I do now? Because my baking recipe calls for an egg. Can I now creatively substitute in theory sort of? So what does the egg do? It acts as a binding agent and it also serves to rise the batter a little bit. So yeah, maybe try a little bit of curd and some baking soda, load up on the fats a little bit because egg yolk also supply the fat. So that kind of general scientific awareness is what I try to apply when I'm in the kitchen.
0: Okay, okay. Of course, but you know, if someone were to hear your uh, podcast, they'll probably think it's a lot more complicated than that. Right. I mean, it's very interesting. It's a very interesting, I'm just like telling my, uh, you know, my section of listeners as well, that it's a very interesting show. And the way you've sort of divided or you've named the episodes and what you talk about um, sounds like it's complicated, but it's not. Like when you listen to it, it's not. Uh, But uh, to be able to bring that into a show and still make it very um, relatable is, is what I liked about that.
1: Okay, I mean, thanks for saying that. I, I guess, I, yeah, I guess the, the 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 title "Nerd Kitchen" may you know lead people to think that it's you know all about this uh, complex chemistry and whatnot. So, so the thing is, it's there in the back of my mind. So, anytime I'm so, the, the, that's the beauty of this whole thing. There are these complex phenomena that happen and that manifest itself so seamlessly in our cooking that unknowingly we are doing so many interesting things to our cooking right uh, I mean take uh, I don't know fermentation as a simple example yeah. and, and it, it's incredible the kind of nutritive va- nutrition value that you derive out of fermentation mm. and how somehow we have managed as a culture to identify what a good bacteria is from what a bad bacteria because essentially fermentation is making things foul. Yeah. So, if you don't do it right, the food rots, you have to throw it away. Uh, if you don't do it right, right? But mm-hmm. if you do it right, you get something that tastes fantastic. Mm-hmm. And it also is a fantastic, great source of nutrition. It actually replenishes your gut health, so on and so forth. Yeah. It's just that let us say when I'm uh, baking bread, everything. So, bread baking is, is one of the most therapeutic things out there. Yeah. So, you know, as I am, so it, it Seems as simple as add the yeast, knead the dough, let it rise, bake bread, which is actually true. But the series of processes that happens is what differentiates when you really want to make a great bread and want to differentiate it from a good bread. Mm. Uh, so that's where that whole know how becomes more important. I think for day to day cooking, it, it serves the purpose. Uh, but I don't know, maybe it's my background and the kind of job that I'm involved with, it, it has sort of ingrained this whole, okay, I am needing something, what exactly is happening? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I tend to think about that. Uh, whether or not I do something about it is a different question, but mm-hmm. I tend to think about it. Uh, the other very interesting thing is, there is a uh, paper in a journal which talks about pairing of uh, flavors. Huh. And uh, that's based on what kind of molecules are present in food, and therefore how it would complement. I think we tend to do this subconsciously in our cooking. So, as a simple example, let me—I mean, take uh, a, any uh, particular dish as an example. Right. So, let us say you uh, overdo the salt a little bit. There is an inherent tendency to uh, add some amount of souring agent because it turns out uh, it also has to do with the fact that our receptors are inherently a bit more sensitive that way. So I'm just masking the perception of thought. So there are a whole host of ways where we subconsciously are applying concepts of uh, food chemistry but not knowing uh, what the exact reactions are. So uh, in a country like India, which is incredibly diverse, uh, what you do scientifically is manifested in all kinds of cooking. It's just that the choice of ingredients varies. So let us say I want to make something sour. Uh, I go to a Maharashtra, it's a kokum. In TN or Karnataka, it's like kadampuli or tamarind. In up north, it could be lemon. So basically, to cut a long story short, what I'm trying to say is, all of us subconsciously apply these fundamental concepts of chemistry in food. It's just that we We haven't had the formal knowledge of it.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: But, uh, I mean, for you specifically, does that... alter your experience of cooking or eating or is it always subconscious like when you're doing it yourself
1: so okay Uh, so that's a good question so so let us say I'm trying to make something and let us say I want to uh, impart an element of sourness Mm. Uh, just to build on that example yeah Uh, some days I don't have a lemon what do I do Uh, I have tamarind, but I don't feel like making that tamarind paste because it's a messy process. So what I end up doing is uh, soak in a small small amount of coconut and add that extract to the mix. And it lends a very different kind of flavor. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, So I guess that's where the experiment part comes into picture because sometimes we tend to get too caught with the whole idea of, uh, if this is the dish, that's how it has to be.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's where, unfortunately, the room for creativity gets stifled. And mm. and this is something uh, I mention to everyone who says, but this is not authentic dish. Uh, I mean, let's face it, uh, the concept of authenticity is actually an evolving one. There is no such thing, honestly, as, uh, you know, authentic sambar or authentic rasam because yeah. I mean, today uh, as an example, I can't imagine uh, you know rasam without a tomato. tomato. Yeah. Tomato is a very recent thing to enter our kitchen. I I mean, if I look at uh, vada pav or whatever, that's first of all pav and vada, the, the potato and pav are both Portuguese for That's hardly 250 years old. Yeah. So am I to understand that? Uh, uh, before that uh, i don't know i mean they may not be having bada pav, but something along uh, right? being a lot of the cooking that we do are inspired by ingredients that are available to me today i mean right today i toughly to imagine cooking without uh, tomatoes yeah but tomato is hardly 250 year old thing am i to understand that we in india didn't eat uh, stuff 250 years ago that's ridiculous right so, mm-hmm. so that's where the whole concept of authenticity becomes very funny. It's, mm-hmm. it's a classic example of where, uh, you know, it's our creativity and adapting to local agriculture that has evolved the concept of authenticity and therefore introduced us to some really, really interesting and new flavors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that is pretty much my take on that. So it's not, uh, so the, the whole experimentation is inherently a sign of trying to adapt based on your local, uh, what you grow locally, and how you incorporate that into your cooking, as opposed to being a super stickler for, uh, you know, something that is quote unquote authentic.
0: Authentic. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you about breakfast. You know, mm-hmm. not just your favorite food here or in the US or wherever you've traveled, but in terms of discovering mm-hmm. breakfast in itself.
1: Okay, so as far as breakfast goes, I think, uh, I mean, I can talk about the stuff I've had in the US and so on. But I think Karnataka is where I, I mean, my eyes really opened to breakfast, actually. Mm -hmm. Thanks to the fantastic Darshini scene in Bangalore, Mm -hmm. I got to know a lot about the breakfast culture here. So I think the first thing that I got to know is, there is this stereotype associated with Bangalore: uh, people and everything opens only at nine, nine thirty, and uh, so on and so forth. Absolutely not true. I mean, you go to a darshini; they are buzzing by seven, seven thirty already. And 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 as a matter of fact, a lot of places, if you really don't know how they work, run out of things to certain things to serve by ten o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I mean, that's the first thing I got to know about Bangalore. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I am. Uh, I mean, I am from TN. That's my uh, native state. Hmm. So to me, I knew when I think of dosa, it's like regular Masal dosa and Rava dosa. So those are the doses that instinctively come to my mind. Hmm. But only after I moved back to India from the US, I was just blown away by the sheer variety of doses that we have in Karnataka. Okay. I remember first time, uh, I mean, you have the regular Masal dosa that the Urupi style which comes with sambar.
0: Mm-hmm. Then you
1: have the Bengaluru Darshini style uh, Masal dosa that you get at uh, PTR or Vidyasi Bhavan that almost never comes with sambar and the kind of rice that goes into it and the way it's made is it significantly different than a typical paper roast Dose. Mm.
0: Um,
1: and uh, I, I, I think that itself was a big eye-opener for me. When I looked at dosa without sambar, I'm like, okay, what gives? And that's when I came to know that it's not necessary to have sambar uh, to enjoy a good masal dosa, and that is a huge eye-opener for me. And then uh, I think so. Uh, uh, my my wife Nandini grew up in Bangalore, mm. and her family and she they introduced me to this fantastic Darshini culture in Bangalore. And I ke, then came across this Daman Kere style paneer uh, masal dosa where not only there is no sambar but the palya is actually a plain alu palya that is served outside the dosa so it's not tucked inside the dosa, inside the dosa yeah. and then you pair it with a uh, like a nice khara chutney yeah that bende masala dosa the palya and the chutney the combination is something that i can't even describe <laughs> and uh, i am feeling a deep sense of anguish because it's been 4 damn months since i had that actually stupid virus yeah. So I'm really missing on that uh ke right? And then there is, and you know, uh, when it comes to dose, you know, a lot of people think that it's all about the oil and the butter and the cheese. Again, uh-huh. not true. There is something called kali dose, which is supposed to be an oilless less dose. It's so soft and fluffy. It's like eating a cloud. Yeah. So, uh, you know, dose doesn't, have to be a heavy experience and that is something i it's not your usual set dose or utapam that you do
0: mm-hmm. uh, i don't know
1: the way Kali dose is made here it's fantastic it's really light and before you know you can you know gobble up four to five and you still wouldn't feel like you had a heavy sector, right and uh, then you of course have the mailari dose and Mysore, you have the neer dose uh, and all the other instant varieties of doses that you have um, Going on, there is something called a Mulbagal Dose, which is a cross between a uh, dose and an appam of sorts. Yeah. Really, really good. So yes. only after coming to Karnataka, I had my eyes open that, you know, there is this uh, whole world of doses waiting yes, yes, for me. It. And I really love uh, Bangalore to bits for having this amazing variety of breakfast items. The other thing that really blew my mind was the Mangalur bun and the goli bajji. <laughs> uh, that is something I, I had never had in my life. And I am a huge fan of Mangalur bun. So, yeah. uh, and, and these are things that I didn't know existed. And, uh, you know, because when we, in general, growing up, uh, I mean, South India back then had four states. TN was very well represented. Uh, Kerala was very well represented. AP was very well represented. It's Karnataka, I don't know, for some reason remained a mystery. Too. So mm. only after moving here, uh, I am still exploring this fantastic world of Lothar and uh, of course you have the kesari and the kh- i don't think anybody makes uh, kesari bath better than uh, karnataka because the people here have figured out how to make a light kesari bath while retaining the texture of the rava i i, I mean i can bet a lot of money that no one else does it better than karnataka we have
0: the best uh, one though
1: i mean uh, that's the slv banshankari opposite to that bda complex there is a legendary slv there kesari bath is off the charts okay uh, brahmin's coffee bar has a kesari bath with small amount of sha in it and okay. that is one of the most underrated things uh, that they serve there because brahmin's coffee bar means the idli vada takes the cake but their kesari bath is actually very underrated it's really really good mm-hmm. Um i mean uh, so so and and uh, of course you have the shavige bath uh, what i really like about the breakfast in bangalore is uh, it doesn't have to be ridiculously heavy and yeah. people get very creative so uh, so one one day i happened to go to south bangalore uh, so i like to run so i live in this urban jungle called Whitefield, which is not really considered Bangalore.
0: Yeah.
1: So I go to South Bangalore running every now and then.
0: Mm. And
1: uh, one day I felt like having Vidyayati Dhamma Masal But the queue as usual was very long. Yeah. And as I was walking around, I found this hole in the wall place for Namma Excellence. And uh, there I saw something called Green Masal Dose and Green Italy. I'm like, I thought they would just put a puree of spinach just to make it look.
0: Green, huh?
1: Only when I looked the stuff I knew that what they meant by green is they put dill leaves uh. in the dote batter and the idli batter and that lends a fantastic flavor and this is again a very very good example of experimenting with local ingredients and incorporating them in these creative ways. I have never had a sabaki idli or sabaki dote elsewhere hmm. and uh, uh, and, and, and again, the, the, here's the other beauty when you, uh, you know, frequent these places. So, um, it turns out that the Sabaki Idli is so famous and so popular that mm. by 10 o'clock they run out of batters. So I still remember, I took one of my friends who is a classic, you know, oh, I uh, Whitefield is Bangalore and Bangalore me kuch nahi Bangalore. So, I told her, why don't we go down to South Bangalore, I'll show you what actual Bangalore looks like. Okay. So we kind of took a walk around the uh, in Basavanagudi, and uh, I I deliberately took her to a darshini that Nama Esalen at 10 o'clock in the morning, and I told her there are two items that are very famous here, the sabaki, sabaki idli and the sabaki dosa. It turns out that at 10 o'clock they had run out mm-hmm. of batter for mm-hmm. the sabaki idli. Uh-huh. And that came across as a shock to her because she was under the impression that, you know, people in Bangalore wake up at 9 and show <laughs> up for breakfast at 10 some such. So right. I told her, well, first of all, that's not true. And, uh, you know, that's when her eyes also opened that, wow, there is, this city really wakes up early for a good breakfast. Mm. And the scene is buzzing by uh, 7, 7.30 in the morning itself. And the other very interesting thing that I discovered is this place, Namma SLN, I think it's a two feet by a six feet space, Uh including the kitchen. Uh And you have 30 people crammed into it uh, at at any given time. And yet the owner insists on paying only after you eat the food. You Uh can't pay and then get the self-service. I mean, there is no service here. It's self-service. And I think in this day and age, it's a fantastic example of placing trust in people, right? Because honestly, if you just ate your food and walked away, nobody would know because people have to get their food, get out of this hole in the wall joint, eat their food, and then honestly make the payment. And there is no way for the owner to track the order either, right? Because uh, it's entirely based on trust. And I think that is, to me, something really heartwarming in this day and age. So, (laughs) Mm. i'm sorry i think i could keep, i could go on and on we could probably spend the next couple of hours and still we'd probably you know barely uh, scratch the surface of the, uh, the the breakfast scene that exists in bangalore but i i like i said i really really love bangalore uh, for a whole host of reasons but uh, this whole darshini culture is uh, probably one of the top reasons why i really love it yeah
0: yeah and and over the like for last Twenty years, I think, a little more than that, maybe. But I mean, it's it's become so huge. Yeah. Like there are close to three thousand Darshinis in Bangalore. Every other road, you have a Darshini from a small no, one. Absolutely. One, they are the legacy mm-hmm. ones that have that were started like much, uh, you know, before uh, two thousand. So, and they've slowly built like their own mm-hmm. fan base. Now you have camps who fight against each other about which dosa <laughs> Yes. And, you yeah. know, how to eat it and the yeah. ambience of the place, whether you should go there for the people, the ambiance, yeah. the food. Yeah. It's a whole, yeah, like you said, yeah. we can talk about it for uh, yeah. hours on end. Um, so, I, you know, I also saw that at one point, I I don't know if you still do it, you were selling uh, marinara uh, sauce. Is Am I right?
1: Yes, that's right. So, I, well, I am still selling, it's just that due to recent circumstances, I stopped because it's honestly not safe. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that's right. So, I I sell uh, marinara sauce. Uh, it's something that just started out of uh, sheer interest and uh, really happy uh, that, you know, people have put their uh, faith in uh, the sauce. Yeah. It's, it's And actually, it's kind of funny that that also operates on some of these Darshini models where, you know, so I target 25 bottles and okay. if it exceeds, I usually say no, I'm out of sauce as opposed to forcing myself to, you know, make things on a larger scale and make 50 to 100 bottles and it's kind of interesting when I'm thinking about it. It's it's very similar to the story of I ran out of batter, so I'm not making any more. So I suppose I follow similar logic here also. So I buy enough to make 25 bottles comfortably. Mm. And if they're sold, great. Otherwise, obviously, I mean, my family is a fan of uh, marinara sauce and we tend to use it in uh, different kinds of ways. So either way, I I get to use the sauce.
0: Hmm, 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 hmm. Okay, okay. Uh, no, I asked because uh, like I sort of mentioned in your introduction, there's so much that you've done which relates to food. you also sort of work in, say the same line, right? Uh, your actual uh-huh. professional work. You mm-hmm. experiment with food at home. you you've had a blog, you know you have a podcast about it. so it's it's sort of there, like it's a present, like a constant presence in one way or the other. Have you mm-hmm. ever thought of taking it to, say, the next level, like opening, like having a pop-up or a restaurant or anything?
1: Well, I think that's a very interesting question because, so the reason for doing all the, I think my uh, wife Nandini is a huge uh, uh, fork behind me, tending to open up and, uh, you know, share a lot of these things online because... I think 10 to 15, 10, before getting married to Nandu, I was a very different individual. It's borderline uh, like uh, Sheldon, like just all studies and fairly awkward socially. Uh So I I, I think she has kind of opened uh, my eyes to this whole world of, uh, you know, online presence and doing things on social media. Was the blog
0: her idea as well?
1: Yes, absolutely. The uh, okay. so blog's her idea. The right? sauce is her idea. It was yes, also- yes, yes. So I think both of us love to cook and eat. It's just that uh, I am, I like to spend more time in the kitchen. Okay. And uh, it's very good to have a partner who is open-minded to all kinds. of So of course, what's shown in the blog and the post online are the success stories. But there are obviously hundreds of failures. Mm-hmm. and that obviously doesn't get captured but it really helps to have a supporting part supportive partner who you know sticks with you through the failures as well as successes kitchen and, mm-hmm. and otherwise
0: mm-hmm. so
1: i think a lot of this i really owe to uh, nandini for you know uh, uh, enabling me to open up and being online and sharing my experiments online mm-hmm. so we actually one of our dreams is to open a cafe once we retire of course there is some time to go Okay. but uh, we have actually toyed with the idea of opening a food truck at one point in time mm-hmm. uh, it's just that I know I, I to be blunt i we couldn't muster the courage that that's the best way to or that's the only reason okay. and now of course with a two and a half year old kid i think all those dreams have to be put on hold for some time at least but that doesn't mean it's not exactly binary right because let us say i am open to collab so let us say somebody's setting something up and i'd be happy to collaborate with that person and give some ideas on hey this could be a fun dish to serve or what kind of theme you could have in the place that you're trying to set up so i'm definitely open to collaborating that way okay. and once we retire there is definitely an idea behind opening some kind of like a cafe that just serves uh good food where people can hang out and have fun so that is definitely on our minds but i don't know maybe not in the near future because once you start running around a kid it all those other uh, <laughs> things have to take a back to you. <laughs> no no does he also join you in the kitchen often oh yes absolutely he absolutely, absolutely so. <laughs> he's spending good amount of time in the kitchen yes okay
0: it's nice you will probably have like a sous chef when you if and when you decide to start something
1: oh I yeah absolutely nice. if, he's, if he's interested in our company it's absolutely more than welcome to do
0: <laughs> okay okay so yeah i guess that brings us to the end of the show thank you so much for doing this uh, it was nice thank talking you, it was
1: really really nice being on the show great talking to you thank you so much you so much for having me
0: but before you go uh would you like to share your uh, social media handles?
1: Okay, so I am at Macro Ajit M-A-C-R-O-A-J-I-T On Instagram uh, On Twitter I am at Ajit underscore Bhaskar That's uh, A-J-I-T underscore B-H-A-S-K-A-R Okay uh, So those are the two major platforms that I use I am not really active on Facebook Okay
0: And I can listen to your podcast The Nerd Kitchen on
1: Spotify Oh yes Yes, yes yeah, yes,
0: thank you for saying that. So yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> No, I, the, I, I really like the show, and I've been like hooked to it since the time I started listening. Uh, so I thank you so much. Kind of like going all ahead and promoting it because I like it so much. Uh, so yeah, you can. Thank you
1: so much. Nerd that's really nice of you.
0: <laughs> thank you. Uh, so you can listen to the Nerd Kitchen on uh, Spotify. You can listen to this show, The Breaking Point, on Spotify as well along with Google Podcast and uh, any other platforms, all major streaming platforms. That's about it. You can follow me, uh, Nalme Nachiar, on uh, Twitter, I'm Nalme underscore Nach. On Instagram, I'm Nalme Yolume. And you can follow the show as well. It has its own website, uh, nalmenachiar.hubhopper.com. Please listen to the show and give your feedback. Thank you so much for uh, listening to us, this is The Breaking Point, I am your host Nalbe Nachia, food, stories, people, all in a bond, thank you.